0: I was thinking about invitations. Sometimes uh, invitations are, are, are really great. This is a picture of my, uh, my wifey and some of her friends. Uh, in fact, she was at this lunch yesterday. Uh, the invitation was received from a friend of hers uh, that she went to primary school with. Now, my wife, of course, is very young. She's only 21. Um, but I think uh, she's known this friend of hers for 30 years. Um, it's a long-term friendship. And when you get an invitation like this, uh, there's something really beautiful about it. There's a sense in which uh, it's a deserved invitation. There's all that friendship water under the bridge. And so if you're going to have a party, it's one of those people who we've done life together. We've shared life. And so at some level, you deserve to come along to the party. Uh, There are other invitations that we get in life that can be totally unexpected and to some extent undeserved. I don't know if you remember uh, when you used to be at, uh, at a party and there'd be the big kids, well, there'd be the adults' table and then there'd be the kids' table. Do you remember this? Do some of you Can some of you remember back that far? When you got the invitation, perhaps, to move from the kids' table to the adults' table. Do you, do you remember this happening? I, imagine you're four years old, though, and you get called out and they say, no, no, come and sit up at the big table. All of a sudden, you have this... Bizarre feeling that's totally undeserved. I know my spot in life, right? My spot in life is at the tiny table, at the little table, where I deserve to be. And so to be called up to the big table feels totally undeserved. I don't know if you've received an invitation recently, other than the one you just got, uh, where you thought, yep, I definitely, I'm one of those people, I should be at this. Or maybe you got an invitation recently and you thought, I don't think I deserve, this is is highly unexpected, I, I didn't anticipate this. Well, today I want us to be thinking about invitations. And I want you to think with me, what if God was in the invitation business? Okay? What if God was in the invitation business? If God was in the invitation business, would you be a deserving recipient of an invitation from God? Or would you be an undeserving recipient of an invitation from God? It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Well, we're going to have a think about Isaiah and particular chapter 55 today. And uh, Jeff set us up, this is my overview of the Old Testament, but Jeff set us up for the book of Isaiah. And uh, if we move in a little bit closer, Isaiah comes after we've entered the promised land, that's the land, uh, the green land there. Uh, After we've received kings in the promised land, who've been told to tell people to live in accord, as Jeff told us, to live in accord with God's laws. And those kings have stuffed it up, pretty much. And God has said to his people, in the future, through the prophet Isaiah, in the future you'll be taken away into exile, you will lose the promised land. But the book of Isaiah is written before that's happened. And so it's promised that it will happen because you've been so disobedient. This will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Chapter 55 is written to a group of people who are knowing that they're going to go far away. But it's telling them an even better word, one day soon you'll be drawn back. Have a look with me, you've got your Bibles open I hope, at chapter 54 there. And you can see in chapter 54, uh, you can see this sense of God calling back. It says in, uh, in verse 7, For a brief moment I abandoned you but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. Verse 8, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. God is saying, I will punish you, but I will draw you back. I will draw you back. So chapter 54 is a vision of future restoration. And Simeon read really well. Uh, He got out lapis lazuli, which is a stone. Remember, it was talking about this building being rebuilt. The city that's going to be destroyed will be rebuilt, and it'll be rebuilt with precious stones. It's a beautiful picture of the future. How do we get to this future? Well, chapter 55 is an invitation to God's people to receive this future that God has promised them. It's an invitation to receive the future God has promised them. So let's have a look uh, at verses uh, 1 to 3, and we'll see this invitation coming really strongly uh, in chapter 55 and verses, uh, verses one, 1 to 5. Uh, it says to me, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, come buy and eat. So the first thing is to say, the people of God are thirsty. Come, come to the waters. Now, if you're sitting uh, next to the uh, the fountain that never runs out, uh, you know it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, the The school school fountain never runs out of water. The one down here in Oran Park never runs out of water. It's always got water. We don't know what it looks like, really, to be parched, to have no water. But here, God's speaking to a group of people who are thirsty, thirsty for Him, not not just physically thirsty, and He's saying. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And uh, there's going to be an abundant provision. So first thing is to say, are these people deserving? Well, they're certainly needy. They're parched. Secondly, uh, we see that they're to to come by milk and wine, without money and without cost. It says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? These people have been trying to fill their God-shaped hole with, with hard work. The next thing he says is, have a look with me there at the second part of verse 2, Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. The people are parched. The people are poor in the sense that they don't have anything to buy with. And the answer, the way that they're to respond to the invitation is to listen. If you listen, God says, you will delight in the richest of fare." See, he could give them, have a look in, uh, in verse 1, we see he could give them water. And uh, he could give them bread. But instead he says, I'll give you milk and wine. And at the end of verse 2 there, it says, you will delight in the richest of fare. If we listen to God, what will he do? He won't just provide a little bit. He'll pour abundant blessing on his people. The richest affair. You'll sit down to a feast, not to a cup of soup. Come and listen to me, you thirsty, hungry people, and you will be provided for. He goes on uh, in verse 4 and he says, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, for the Holy One of Israel has endowed you with splendor. See, God promised to King David. He said, David, one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. Do you remember this? The other week we had a little shoot coming up from the stump. Do you remember that? Promise to David. And here it's saying Israel... I will restore my promise to David to you. You will enjoy the blessings of King David. And in fact, as a nation, not only will you not be taken far away, but actually nations will come to you. You will be a center point for the whole of the world. And maybe you remember back to Matthew's sermon a couple of weeks ago where he had all the nations coming back. Do you remember that? Okay. So that's the future for the people of Israel. You're invited, Israel. Israel and you're undeserving, you're parched, you're poor, you're impoverished, but God is willing to abundantly bless you, if only you will listen to his invitation, if only you will listen to his invitation. Um, I thought I might put uh, two four-letter acronyms up there. I'm sure all of you know what RSVP stands for, don't you? Can someone tell me? Respondez-vous, s'il vous plaît. Yeah? RSVP? Did you know? You didn't know that. Okay, great. Well, that's good. I've given you that one. But everyone knows what FOMO is, don't they? Does anyone here know what FOMO stands for? I see it at the hand, Brent. Fear of missing out. Have you heard this before? Okay. Now, in, in Australia and in our society more generally, invitations are dying. They're dying because no one responds anymore. Who's a good RSVPer here? Oh, I see some hands. Bless you. You are holding up the good end of society by being good RSVPers. Just quietly, don't put your hands up because you won't want to. But uh, who's bad at RSVPing? Yeah, I see those hands too. That's great. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think on the whole, Australia is increasingly becoming terrible at responding to invitations. Absolutely terrible. And the reason we're becoming more and more terrible is FOMO. Our fear of missing out. So if I lock in, oh, on this week, in six weeks' time, I'm going to be doing this. Oh, but, but I don't know. I might miss out on something even better, right? And so I'll delay, I'll delay, I'll delay, I'll delay, I'll delay. I won't send an RSVP until just before. Well, have we got anything else on? No. Oh, oh, ah, all right. Well, we want to go to that then, so we'd better just give them a text right now, not call. We'll give them a text right now and just tell them we're coming. This is not ringing a bell with anyone here, is that right? Okay, well, I want to tell you, quite a few people who aren't you are doing this in society at the moment. Okay? Fear of missing out leads to people not accepting invitations, because they want something better. Here's how to respond to God's invitation, right? So our God has said, "'Come to me, all you who are thirsty.'" Come to me, those of you who are wasting your labor on what can't satisfy. Come to me, and you will delight in the riches of fare. So, what do we do? How do we respond to God's invitation? Well, that's unpacked for us in verses six and seven. So, if you've got keep them open there, Uh, there's three things that we need to do to respond to God's invitation. The first thing we need to do is to seek. Have a look at Isaiah 55 and uh, and verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. There's an invitation from God. And we are to be people who are to seek the Lord. The first thing that you'll do is you'll go, I think there's an invitation out here. I should find the one who has given the invitation. So seek the Lord. Notice the implication. Call on him while he is Near is what it says. I think the implication of that is, will God always be near? Will that invitation always be live for me? I don't think it's always there. And so what he's saying is, this is a limited time offer. Now that sounds a bit cheesy, kind of um, late night TV kind of thing, doesn't it? It's not like that. The living God is inviting us and he's saying, respond now. The time is limited. Today is a great day to be saved. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Have a listen to the way uh, in the Old Testament. We hear this invitation to seek and the encouragement that if you seek, it will work out well. Uh, this is God, and uh, and He's talking to uh, to Solomon. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Oh, this is David. Sorry, talking to um, to Solomon. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father, and serve Him with wholehearted devotion. And with a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Now that's at one time brilliantly thrilling and completely terrifying, isn't it? God knows you. If you seek Him today wholeheartedly, what will happen? He'll be found by you. But there's two parts to this. If you forsake him, what will happen? He'll reject you forever. Gracious. Notice what comes first, though. We, we always hear the second bit more heavily, don't we? We go, oh, gee, that sounds terrible. Do we hear how brilliant the first part is? If you seek him, you will be found by him. That's brilliant. In fact, Jesus echoes these same words. How wonderful is this? This is Jesus speaking, okay? And he says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Isn't that brilliant? Is our God so far away as to be unfindable? No. In fact, when Jesus walked on the earth, he said to people, If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek, you will find. And so the wonderful encouragement here is that seekers find. I've been looking for God and I can't find Him. Well, my response to that would be, start looking. I don't think you truly have sought Him yet. The other thing to say is, uh, you know, I haven't found God up a mountain in uh, in, um, the Himalayas. I haven't found God in my meditation and yoga. Well, okay, you may be looking in the wrong place, my encouragement to you would be God has promised to speak to us through his word. If you want to find him, hear his invitation here and meet him here. You might want to take the Bible with you up on a mountain in Himalayas and that's fine, but, uh, but find him here. And if you haven't found him, it's not because he's unfindable, but probably because you're pursuing him in a way that isn't taking you close to him. So the first thing we do in responding to God's invitation is that we seek. The second thing we do is we forsake. Have a look with me at uh, verse 7 here. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Now here's the interesting thing. Uh, God has said, I'm making an invitation to Israel. And you might think, well, Israel was his people, so they must be brilliant. Of course they're going to respond to his invitation. Notice, what's, what's the behavior of the people who need to find God? Let the who? Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. What needs to happen is God is calling to not a wonderful people who needed and deserved an invitation from God. God's calling to an unrepentant, unrebellious people. Who have hard hearts, and he's saying to them, "Forsake your wickedness, leave behind your unrighteous thoughts, get rid of them." Now, uh, I've got a picture up here of a jacket, and you're probably wondering how is a jacket connected to forsaking. It, I was I was looking for this word in the Bible and trying to think where where it comes up to use an illustration for you. Uh, do you remember Joseph uh, was sent to Egypt as a slave? This is one of our stories, Jeff. Remember, Joseph was sent to Egypt as a slave. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. While he's a slave, he's a pretty talented boy, and so he gets hired by a guy called Potiphar. You heard of him? In Potiphar's household, he rises through the ranks until this Hebrew boy is second only to his master in the house. He oversees the other slaves. He's the most important person in the house other than his master. Now, he's a fine-looking young man, And what happens is, as he's going about his duties, his master's wife finds him alone one day in the house and says to him, come to bed with me. Big moment for Joseph, right? What he does, he says, I can't do that. It would be dishonoring to my master. He's kept nothing back from me except for you. The woman grabs him and says, no, come on, let's... And what it says is, he forsook, he... Forsook, he left behind the garment that she was hanging on to, and ran out of the house naked. He fled from evil. It got him in big trouble, of course, because now the wife had uh, the <laughs> the top, and he's a naked man running out of her house, and she he she screamed out and said that he tried to attack me. Anyway, that's a by the by. What I want you to see here is the forsake is leave behind utterly leave behind this previous part of our life, forsake it. And so God says to you, come as you are, but don't stay that way. So if we're serious about seeing new life come to every home in Oran Park, guess what? There'll be some people coming in here that look a lot like you. Do they deserve to be here? Yes and no, don't they? Of course they deserve to be here. We want this place to be a place for everyone. But if you come in as someone who has sold their life to, I don't know, to gambling, you're addicted to alcohol, you're uh, addicted to pornography, you're doing all sorts of terrible, you're, you're beating your spouse, all those sort of things. If you come in here, guess what? You're welcome here. But the living God that draws you and says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, does not say you come here and stay that way. You must forsake, leave behind your wickedness and your unrighteous thoughts. They cannot continue to characterize you. There must be, what we would call here, new life. A life that is truly new, not like the old life. So the first way to respond is to seek. The second way to respond is to forsake. Have a look, at, listen to the way Paul says it in the letter to the Colossians. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your, from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Sounds good, doesn't it, Jeff? We've been reminded of that already. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You have forsaken it and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. What does it look like to be someone who receives this invitation? We will seek the Lord. We will forsake the old life. Forsakers cast off their old life. Thirdly, we must turn. I love this sign. Can you, can you see this here? No. <laughs> I have no idea what the second part of the sign up the top is about. But it certainly communicates a lot, doesn't it? Do not U-turn. It will make you very sad. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think quite often uh, the, the, the line about, why won't I become a Christian? Why, why won't you respond to Jesus' awesome invitation? Well, you think to yourself, the path that I'm on, if I was to turn around, I would have to give up and... And really, and I'd have to stop, and I don't think I really want to... That, that kind of stock-taking thing that happens where we go, my old life, it's so precious to me. It's, it means so much to me. I don't want to turn around and leave that behind. I don't want to turn my friends away. I, I don't want to stop doing these things that I enjoy, that are part of my habits, part of my identity. To, to turn sounds terrible but i want you to think what's on offer yeah what's on offer why is it worth turning why is it worth forsaking have a listen it says in uh, in verse 7 here let them turn to the lord and he will have mercy on them and to our god for he will freely pardon why would you turn Do you know what? I haven't got an awesome replacement. If you're really into the rush of gambling, I haven't got an awesome replacement for you. I don't have a rush that will be the same as that. tell you what I've got an offer for, though. When your bank account's empty and you're thinking full of guilt about how you've got no money left for this week, that emptiness, that can be answered. That can be answered with full forgiveness, with pardon from the living God, with a life you don't need to escape from. That offer, that's a beautiful offer. That's an offer worth receiving, whatever the cost of turning, because you won't find it anywhere else. The turning that you take will be answered in pardon. The living God has committed to pardon you. And so in, uh, in Deuteronomy, God says to his people, when all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you, when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations he scattered you. God says, if you turn to me, I will draw you back. And then again, we see in the New Testament in Acts. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God. That sounds like one of those terrible Old Testament sermons, yeah? Repent and turn to God. Why? Why? Why does he say, turn? So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Why the heaviness? Because the life of unrighteousness and wickedness is ultimately horrible. It's unfulfilling, and it's leading you to a Christless eternity. Turn, seek, forsake. There is a beautiful thing on offer here. Returners will be restored. Returners will be restored. But you think, okay, brilliant. Uh, A wonderful invitation from our God, but how can I trust him? How can I trust him to hold up his end of the deal? How can we trust the one who is inviting us? Uh, I don't know if you follow uh, on social media ever, but these pictures have started becoming more, more, um, more... more prevalent these days, people taking pictures of the stars and the landscape together. Have you seen pictures like this? So there's the Milky Way laid out. I just think it's, it's not a composite photo, it's actually one photo taken with long exposure in the dark. I just think that's a brilliant picture, isn't it? And you see the vastness of the sky above you. You know when you go to the country and you finally get out of all the lights and you're sitting there in the country and you look up and you go, oh my goodness, I had forgotten that there were so many stars. You had that experience? I love it. Just love it. Well, th- that's part of the answer here. Have a look at Isaiah 55 verse 8. Why should we trust the one who's inviting us? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What, what does that mean? In essence, God's not like us. We wouldn't be able to keep an invitation like this. But the one who is inviting you is higher than the heavens. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He has the power to do it. The maker of all things is drawing you into relationship. It's a great invitation because he's not like us. Secondly, and this is, I think, just a beautiful reason. Have a look at Isaiah 55, 9 to 11. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then it says this in verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Have a look up here. Here's the desert. When the rain falls on the Australian desert, here's what happens. It's crazy. It bursts into flower, maybe every 10 years or so, but it does. When that water falls, it brings forth life. It doesn't just fall on sand and disappear. It achieves the purpose it was sent for, to bring life, to bring flourishing and wholeness. And if we get that, God says, you understand the beauty and the awesomeness of the rain. So is my word. So is my word. It never falls without failing to achieve its purpose. It never comes without achieving its purpose. His word will never fail. So why should I trust this inviting one? The first reason is because he's not like me. He's even better. But more than that, because his word never fails. Remember what it said before? Come near, hear and listen. There's a word being spoken and that word will achieve its end. His word will never fail. So what does the party for the invited look like? Because that's kind of part. Yeah, I'll go to the party. I hope it's good. I hope there are trampolines and a jumping castle. At the very least, I hope there's good food. The good food's been promised. Have a look at this. Isaiah 55, 12 to 13 says this You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briar, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And you're like, okay, so it sounds good. Mountains are going to clap, trees. Well, that would be cool to see. And then it talks about plants. Why does it talk about plants? Well, here's a thorn bush. Here's what it says. It says the thorn bush, the thorn bush will be replaced by the juniper. I don't know what a juniper is. A little shrubby thing, not very exciting. A, a myrtle? Okay, a myrtle. Well, what does it look like? Well, thorn bush will be replaced with myrtle. Isn't that brilliant? Ah, oh, it looks better. It's pinker. It's got more flowers. What's good about that? Why do we care that a thorn bush will be replaced by a myrtle? I'll tell you why. Thorns and briars and weeds came into the world when? At the fall, when we sinned. This world is ridden with weed and decay and death. And what this is saying, on the day you receive this invitation, the ultimate fulfillment on it will be a myrtle replacing a thorn bush. What's happening? Creation is being rolled back. The fall is being undone. We're going to a place where perfection and new creation will reign. The fall will be reversed. That's the picture. That's the beauty of this invitation. Sin's marks will be erased. Flowers instead of thorns. Well, how should this impact me? What should we do with this beautiful piece of invitation two and a half thousand years ago? What should we do with it today? Firstly, I I, I think it's pretty interesting in in verse 2 here. It says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I want to say to your church today. If you're laboring to find satisfaction, peace and pardon in anything other than this invitation, this word is saying it will be ultimately unsatisfying. You will never find the rest and the wholeness and the fullness you are looking for. So I want to ask you today, will you give up your worthless labor? It can't satisfy. It can't satisfy. Secondly, I, I want to I say to us, verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. And there's a sense in which we seek the Lord first when we say yes to him and we say, I want to be part of your team. I want to receive that invitation. I want new life to start today. If that's you, today is a great day for new life to start. So do it. And you can come and talk to me afterwards or write it on your Care and Connect card and I will see you. But for many of us, we've already accepted that invitation. Here's what I want to say to you. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep seeking the Lord. It's it's become apparent to me that the temptation I can have with our Bible reading plan is for me to read a chapter of God's Word, a beautiful chapter of God's Word, and mentally in my head go, tick, done. Done. I've completed my task for the day, and I am reflecting that I need to spend more time seeking the Lord in His Word, not just reading His Word, but seeking the author of the Word. So can I encourage you, can we be a church who would be seeking the Lord, not just seeking to fulfill our obligations? What would it look like if when we gathered together, each of us during the week had been on a journey of seeking the Lord? We'd been refreshed in the Lord. We'd got to know our maker better. And we gather together as God's people. So when we get to sing, we're like, oh yeah, happy to sing, I guess. Soon the kids will go out and I can give my full attention to what's going on here. What if it was, God, I've grown to know and love you better this week. I can't wait to join in the praise of God's people. I'm overflowing so that when I'm connecting with people, I can't wait to tell people how much I love God. Not in a weird, awkward way, but in something just flows out of the fact that you're knowing and loving God better. Can I encourage you, will we be those who seek the Lord together? And thirdly, will we trust the inviting word? Will we trust the inviting word? See, here's the thing. Connect, care, communicate whose job is it to lead people to commit? Well, at some level I can say, today's a great day to become a Christian, but whose job is it to make people Christians? Whose job is it? It's God's job. We will ask them, we'll put the invitation before them, the one whose job it is to say, today is a great day to get saved, and they go, oh, I think it is a good day to get saved. That conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the word of invitation that we've spoken. What I want to encourage you is, when you speak of Jesus, when you give, oh, sorry, give the message of new life on this side over here, when you give the message of new life, are you trusting that it's his job to bring, to bring that final commitment? And if you are, won't you be more bold? Won't you be less disappointed? I didn't fail. I put it out there. God will bring his word to fruition. So I'm going to keep trusting and keep putting it out there. I want us to be a church who will leave worthless labor behind. I want us to be a church that will seek the Lord. I want us to be a church that has deep trust in the word that will always achieve its purpose so that we might be an everlasting sign for the Lord's renown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful part of your word. We thank you for your invitation to parched and impoverished hearts. Father God, may we hear it and receive it. May we extend it to those beyond our walls, and we pray this, Father, for your renown. Amen.